When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating race and crime, and we are starting right now with DA's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us, DA. The floor is all yours. Hello, everyone. Um, The black community has four major issues that would raise crime rates. None of these alone are unique to the community, but all four are represented at a higher rate than population overall. Poverty, population density, psychological disenfranchisement, and undiagnosed mental health. I want to avoid making any broad statements or to the ambitions or personal beliefs of individual police officers. Most of our police are hardworking individuals that are just attempting to finish their job and go home. Unfortunately, the structure of our justice system has not functioned in a positive manner to the Black community. In fact, the structure of our justice system has multiple flaws that increase in all four categories. Poverty, because many of the cities have a higher population of African-Americans, they also deal with an incredibly low property values. And since many of the properties are older, they need a considerable amount of capital to either demolish or update. This leads to a lack of both new long-term business growth and smaller populations of families with the ability to contribute to property taxes. Unfortunately, in many of these communities, the response to this is a targeted enforcement of what might be considered in many other areas, minor crimes to offset revenue loss. For population density, Many of these areas also have a considerably higher population density. That means there are gonna be more person-to-person interactions. Unfortunately, coupling this with high poverty rates increase the chances of a younger, more impressionable demographic interacting negatively with each other in the population. This causes the first interactions with law enforcement to be at a younger age and the negative result will rise distrust. This is exacerbated by the accelerated number of interactions per officer, leading to more issues connected to fatigue. For psychological disenfranchisement, since the police are seen as an outside occupying force and not part of the community as a whole, they are viewed more as enforcers. Add that to the fact that the history of law enforcement and the Black community, it creates a culture of distrust. This allows negative factors in the community to become reinforced by the policies, of the community leaders, of the community leaders um, policing these policies and the community interpretation of what these policies are supposed to be. For example, gangs are not always seen as negative, but rather positive as a protective force against negative actors viewed as not part of said community, thus eliminating policing or being antagonistic towards the ability to police a community. For undiagnosed mental health, with findings in, psycholo- for findings in psychology being comparatively newer, there's more evidence that our system of arrest and incarcerations are creating far more negative consequences to a community than positive effects. If the goal of policing 
and the justice system is to lower the rate of crime, the recent studies and research should show that our current system is doing the exact opposite of its intended goal. The, the goal is to lower the need of policing, not increase policing to temporarily show better numbers year over year. A study by the American Sociological Association, Tony Brown, Mary Lasky Bell, and Evelyn J. Patterson, has found that the current system of incarceration not only damages the immediate family, but the structure of a community as a whole. Thank you. Thank you very much for that opening statement from Dialogue Always. Then we'll kick it over to JF for his opening statement as well before we go into open conversation. And want to remind you folks, Modern Day Debate is a neutral platform hosting debates on all sorts of topics. We hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you're from. JF, the floor is all yours. All right. I think that there are a couple of misinterpretations here in DA's uh, intro, which I would like to focus on. Uh, first, we can see that DA as an interpretation that is kind of Marxist of the whole problem, where society causes the problems, the behavioral problems in this community. I don't think it's the case. For example, it takes the case of the property value. Here, property value, it is true, in Black community, property value is much lower the value of real estate gets lower the more you get into a black neighborhood and it gets extremely low to the point of being uh, impossible to sell except for very low amounts of money. That problem is not something that causes the crime epidemic. That problem is a reflection and a symptom of the crime, crime epidemics in these communities. People simply do not want to live in communities where there is high crime, where there are gangs, where, as DA admits himself, the gangs are perceived as kind of local soldiers to be resisting from the mainstream police forces who are seen as outsider. That is exactly the wrong place to raise your children. That is why property values are going down. So instead of saying, of seeing the system as causing this problem, I suggest an inverted view of the problem. There is simply the fact that certain communities in the U.S. produce more crime. Their behaviors are more criminal. They also produce more aggression against policemen when arrested for a crime. They also escalate violently more against policemen when arrested for a crime. So what do we do when we're faced with this? And I would like to Put it on the table right away. Uh, there is no problem of racism systematically in the police. There might be single examples of policemen who were racist, but there is not in the work, in the everyday work of the average policeman in the US, there is no evidence that they are enforcing a kind of racism through who they arrest, through how they, they pursue crime, through how they they respond to aggression by people who they want to arrest. There is no evidence at all. And every time we look into this, we end up finding that the behavior of policemen is extremely fair to the races. And if anything, we do find evidence of biases against the white population. There are studies that have been made revealing that a policeman takes more time to shoot if the person that he's going to shoot is black compared to a white person. So it seems that there is this kind of judgment moment in their head 
where they say, oh my God, I better be sure that I'm shooting for the right reason here because I have a potential black victim in front of me. So <clears throat> if anything, the system reveal the, the studies reveal that the system is not racist against black people. What's simply happening is that there is a higher rate of infractions of criminal violations in the black community. This is why there, this results in more arrest of black people and more imprisonment of black people. It's simply that way. Uh, this goes even for the small offenses. There has been a study, the NJ Turnpike study, because it had been the case for years before 2005. For years, it had been said that the policeman gives speeding tickets to black people because they want to kind of annoy them for racist purposes. They made a study with radar tracking of speed. They looked at, okay, just how many black people are violating the speeding rules and how many white people are violating them. The, the speeding radar couldn't be racist. It was totally automatically operated and it was giving, therefore, the true value of how much infractions there are. What we found in these studies is the rate of infraction is simply higher in the black community. That is why there ends up being more arrest of more black people. On top of it, it is uh, a very common finding to find that black people who get arrested uh, tend to resist more to the police. They tend to make more suspicious movements. And this justifies further escalation by the police. We cannot conclude that the system is unfair to black people simply because the result is more black people in prison, because the system does what it's designed to do. The system is designed to take people who have committed crime and put them away from society for as long as possible, as long as reasonable, so as, yes, to diminish crime, but also to simply provide a punishing function. Because let us not forget that for each crime, except drug crimes, but for each crime's where there is a victim, there is a cost that society has had to go through. There are people who lose their lives to these crimes. When it's a murder, they lose uh, parts of their body when it's an injury, when it's an assault, and they lose their psychological well-being when it's an attack at the psychological level. But in any case, there are victims of these crimes, and society must provide a punishing function so as to deter future crimes and also to provide a kind of justice. <clears throat> um, DA says minor crimes are being prosecuted. But is it a problem? Is that a problem? The fact that minor crimes are being prosecuted? I want all the crimes to be prosecuted. I want our police to be, ex to be using the laws in the, the most expensive way they can to find all crimes. It's not because a crime is small that it shouldn't be pursued. And by the way, we see it in places that have essentially legalized small theft. Uh, for example, San Francisco with thefts under, I believe, $700 being legalized effectively because the DA will not uh, take these criminals into courts. Uh, it's now a stepping stone for further crimes. It's basically the businesses there cannot expect to have the police intervene when a theft comes when a thief comes in and takes $700 of stuff and so they basically have nothing on their shelves anymore and everything is locked up 
they cannot operate and it destroys your local community. Don't be surprised after this when when, when the pro-criminal left has taken over a local community. Don't be surprised that the the price of real estate is dropping. It's not the price of real estate dropping that's causing these crimes. It's the inverse. People are driven away from these places because they are not good places to live. Um, Disenfranchisement, the police is seen as outsiders, says DA. Uh, Yes, that is true. That is happening in the Black community. Children are being raised to be hostile to police forces. And unfortunately, the reason they are being raised in that culture is the big lie, the big lie that DA is here to make today, that the police is unfair, that the police is unfit, that the police is not treating the Black community as it should. The police is taking people who commit crime and it's putting them in jail, period. And under this big lie, that there is mistreatment of Black people, there is an even more disgusting truth that is hidden. And it is the fact that if there is one instance in our society of systemic racism, it is the the systemic anti-white racism of many of our institutions. I'm looking, for example, at the recent emergency measures from uh, Justin Trudeau in Canada. To me, this is the the clear evidence that our police system has been recruited to operate an anti-white policy. The emergency measures, and I'm reading directly from the government of Canada here, a special law enacted by Justin Trudeau just a couple of days ago, February 15th. Prohibition, a person must not participate in a public assembly that may be reasonably expected to lead to a breach of the peace. So essentially a Uh, He stops the right to protest, the right to be part of an assembly. But he makes a subsection one, subsection two, which which puts some limits on the application of these measures. He says this is not to be applied to a person registered as an Indian under the Indian Act, to a convention refugee or a person in similar circumstances, or E, to a protected person. So Justin Trudeau has essentially said, I'm going to write a law that allows my police forces to only go after white heterosexual truckers. Because if you're black, you're a protected person. If you're LGBT, you're a protected person. If you're an American native, you will be falling under the Indian Act. So this is... uh, racism staring right at our face. It's the actual racism of current society. And it's not the kind of racism that dialogue always is talking about. It is the racism against white people, and it is the only institutional racism that still exists today. That is it for my intro, but there is more to talk about going forward. You got it. And want to say, folks, if you haven't noticed in the bottom right of your screen, we are absolutely thrilled for this Saturday's debate as Kat and Dr. E. Michael Jones debate whether or not porn is bad for society. You don't want to miss that one. Hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss it. And 
We are going to jump into open conversation. Before I do, I, I got to ask you guys, just to be sure if you want the same format that we discussed prior, is do you guys only want to discuss the studies that you guys had exchanged beforehand? Because people oftentimes ask if we could have that, and they did it this time, folks, where they exchanged studies beforehand. Thus far, I've heard of a lot of studies, and that's why I just want to ask and just be sure, like, that's something that I wasn't sure if you guys only want to constrain it to the open conversation. Well, I wanted um, the studies to be uh, informed a little bit about what Dialogue Always was going to defend, but I don't think it should be implemented harshly. You know, if Dialogue wants to bring other facts, I'm fine with it. Okay, yeah, I'm, I agree. Sure. I, I completely agree. Or Even though um, I, I would like to ask that if, if you do reference, and not all of them, but if you have a chance, if you do reference something, just send it over so I can be able to read over it. If that's right. fine with you. Yes. Um. I would like to start by saying that uh, in the very beginning, I wanted to point out that I wasn't making a, a judgment call against the police individual. I cannot make any assessment of every single cop. I cannot make any assessment of how they think or how they process. That was not the point of my argument. Um, my argument was to say that the way that our system is set up and the way that when, when I sent you the information about how the, uh, our great migration it led to a higher population, which actually does negatively affect person-to-person -person interaction. Coupling that with how the police have interacted with that high population density, it leads to distrust. And the higher a distrust or a higher distrust a community has, the more likely people are going to respond to stressors in a uh, non-productive manner. So I'm not making the argument of, I mean, there is a way to argue that in one way or another, policing um, could be racist, but I'm not making that exact argument at this moment. I am making the argument that the differences in communities and the way the communities are structured, um, especially over time, um, negatively affects both the psychology of that community and how that community interacts with itself. But I'd like that to figure sense, out yeah. exactly what you're saying. So let me ask you a couple of basic questions. Do you acknowledge sure. that there is more crime in the black community than in white populations in America? Yes. Okay. And do you recognize that density-wise, there are places in America where there is just as much density of white people as there is density of black people? Yes. Meaning, uh, and even in those communities, the, the racial gap in crime is sustained. Uh, like you can pack up a lot of white people in some, in some quarter of New York. They don't become as, as much criminal as you would expect the black community to be, right? Not exactly. So, for example, in certain neighborhoods in Boston that has a very high white population, a very high white population density, there's also an increase in crime in that area. But I'm, yeah. I'm saying in overall, um, none of the elements by themselves is a direct determinator or direct determining, ah, crap, that can directly determine the increase in crime that is going to be comparatively to the Black community. So, of course, in a population of 350 million people, if you look at any racial map, you can find small sections of densely populated white areas, and you can see an increase in crime. But the difference is African-Americans, even though they're 13% of the population, they are highest in density in every single aspect. 
So even though you can find pockets of high population density with whites, you can't find all, it's harder and harder. I can't say can't, because I'm pretty sure you can. It's harder and harder to find all four aspects in one particular place with the white population. Okay. Now, how do you think the white population has reached its current levels of crime, a lower level of crime than the black community? Historically, how do you think that happened? Because I guess there were some cavemen ancestors of ours that were just as much pirates and rapists as any other groups on the planet. So how did it happen that American whites ended up at low crime levels? Well, American whites have ended up in lower crime rates because they have a, a very low population density and a higher amount of overall um, overall resources uh, attachment. So if we're looking at it one-to-one, the African-American community has a very low access to, to resources overall that would cover the density differently than when the white community rather than a white community that has a very, very low density overall. So for example, a very impoverished white neighborhood would have a substantially lower population density than a very impoverished black neighborhood. But I don't think that uh, your explanation based on density works. I mean, density has been exponentially increasing across the planet uh, in the last century and more. Uh, it's insane the amount of people that are born and that are increasing the world population. Everyone is getting denser, but there is definitely a, still a difference between blacks and whites. Now, my interpretation of how whites became low crime is that it happens over more than a millennia uh, in Europe and that they were exposed to pressures that made them less criminal. And yes, the low density and the fact that people were living in a, in a nuclear family lifestyle in separate houses that were distant due to the winter and distant due to the farming activities may have had a role. But ultimately what happened is that criminality has been punished again and again, starting with religion punishing it strongly when the when the Christians uh, when Christianity was rising throughout Europe and where murderers and people who were doing wrongs were pursued by the local community and at times burned and, and in any case punished. We have punished ourselves against criminality for more than a thousand years. That's why you get a pacific white person today. The problem is I don't see this attitude of willingness to engage with the kind of Christian low criminality lifestyle in the black community. Instead, what we see in the modern black community is an ideological rejection of the goodness of this lifestyle, uh, of choosing to live in a Christian community, live in a family lifestyle with uh, solid families with two parents. We're not seeing this. Instead, what we're seeing is the left feeding uh, talking points that seek to justify living away from that lifestyle, which we know has been associated with white success forever. So I, I don't know where you stand on the political spectrum, but for example, do you think that if there was higher Christianity level and higher stability of marriage in the black community, do you think that would be a tool to resolve criminality? Sure, but I, I want to roll back. I want to first say yes, um, marriage does is affected by it or does affect it, but I would like to roll back to uh, 
an argument that you made before. Um, if you noticed how migration patterns work between, I would say, 1900 and today, you would notice that the Black community was a very rural or in very rural areas, very split apart from each other and did not have nearly the issues that they are having today with the highly densely populated areas. The difference being white areas were incredibly densely populated and had an extremely high crime rate. So over the years, there has been a swap, but that is the great migration. There has been a swap of Blacks moving into very extremely densely populated areas that are also affected by, I would say, the age of the community itself. Um, many of the factories that the Black people moved to be able to work at were starting to close down. They were outdated. The buildings themselves weren't destroyed, um, which would lead to a higher issue with um, with African-Americans both obtaining work close enough to them to not have to make certain sacrifices in order to find jobs that many whites don't have to deal with. Um, but also on the other side of that, an increase in whites, especially following things like the GI Bill or, uh, or um, loan assistance or anything else like that in the mid 1900s that were able to Allow or allow whites to build a generational foundation that would offset statistical differences between whites and blacks. So while there may be, um, and I, I I'm not going to get into the whole like from the beginning of time this happened and whatever that, that that's that's your argument that's your field. Um, I would like to point out that there has been a rapid change in both the location of both of these groups and the generational growth and development of these groups. I fully agree. Uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, the Black family was largely intact and was functional, and the outcomes were uh, extremely good. Uh, the, I, I believe there, there, were, there were somewhere around 80% solid marriages to two-parent family households. Uh, when they moved from the South, as described in the study that you sent me, uh, second generation outcomes of the Great Migration, uh, my interpretation is they moved from the South and they started living their natural behavior in the absence of white Christian influence. Would you, would you agree with this statement? Essentially, the Blacks who left the South and who were at 80% solid marriage, and then they go to the north, they live in denser population, as you point out, and they live mostly broken families. Is it the end of white influence on their lives that led to this? Because they were surrounded by more liberal, more leftist uh, groups, because there was less pressure for them to conform to a socially conservative lifestyle, they essentially lost white influence and it made their lives worse. Um, I would say in a bubble, you might have a good argument, but that is, it's hard to make that argument when you start adding in the issues involving, um, housing discrimination, welfare, and how welfare shifted the moment the Black community moved. So for example, right after the civil rights laws passed and African-Americans had access to many of the same thing white Americans did, um, the way that these institutions were designed and, and functioned shifted dramatically. 
So it went from being able to help a person obtain the American dream to just maintaining a poverty status. So unfortunately, because it's just maintaining a poverty status, um, there is less opportunity to grow and more opportunity for stagnation. Stagnation leads to boredom. And I mean, I think any study will show you that boredom has negative consequences on anyone experiencing it for a long period of time. Um, today, we're starting to see how boredom has affected many other communities, like especially the Japanese community and the white community, but not in the homicide rates, but in the suicide rates. That amount of idle time has allowed uh, certain other issues to grow where you wouldn't have the population density that would increase negative interactions. It increases more, inter it increases more, um, I guess, more time for a person to start contemplating their own self-harm. So just since the reaction is different for the black community and the white community, the same reaction is happening. Well, you're talking about suicide here, which is fundamentally different from violent crime. I mean, I don't see increases, massive increases of violent crime in Japanese migrants or Japanese society. Sure. And I'm not saying that they're having higher amounts of violent crime. I said they have a higher amount of boredom. And because mm -hmm. there's a higher amount of boredom and in the black community, there's a higher amount of negative interactions due to the population density and the psychological disenfranchisement coupled with undiagnosed mental health, there is more opportunities for negative interactions of people who do not value their own life to affect an entire community over other, other systems or other communities. So Christianity or not, which I would argue that the black community has some of the highest rates of Christian followers, especially now out of any group, um, It, there's the offset is just the population density. By number, it makes no doubt that uh, the black community follows Christianity. But by behavior, I don't think they follow the socially conservative Christian ethic. I think they, they are developing their own perception of what Christianity is. And at this point, it's not Christianity to me anymore. What I mean when I say the, the lifestyle that leads to success, I mean these solid families. Uh, clearly, the, the black community has an extremely low uh, amount of families that survive, that can raise children with two parents. So that, that's what I mean by Christianity. I, I well, let me, let me that. ask you this. Before you, before you go any further, let me ask you this. Um, yeah. Now, what do you think caused a sudden increase in divorce rates? What would you say would be the primary factor for that, if it wasn't such a high factor in the early 19th century? I think there's a a lot of dynamic here, but let me list a couple of one, a couple couple of factors. First, uh, the fact that our societies converge toward making women part of the workforce. Uh, this definitely created an elbow of freedom for the black community and the white community, for them to be tempted to be free. Uh, the whole change around the conception of marriage, where marriage used to be a solid contract that you would get punished for breaking and no fault divorce arising eventually changed that. Uh, so the combination of these factors, uh, woman vote probably also plays a big role here. Woman changing through vote the laws so that it's advantageous to no fault divorce 
was definitely a total destruction of the family. And I wouldn't exclude cultural influences of all kinds, pressures being made with the kind of um, subversive desire to, to weaken the family in America for consumerist purposes, for just ethnocentric wars purposes, and perhaps just also because some people are just hostile to the structure of the family and they found a way to to kind of mix in the whole Marxist revolt against authority in the economic sector, and they've transferred it into the family to eventually destroy the family. I think that's what we see from 1940 to essentially today in America, a full-on attack on the family from many angles, and the Black community being the one that was affected most, probably because not only have they undergone all of these factors with the white families also, which have been destroyed, but on top of it, the Black community was led to the natural convergence of their own behavior in absence of white influence, which used to rule over America. The sole conception that there is an ideal morally to aspire to that was present in America a hundred years ago. It's not present anymore. And I think that on top of the attacks on all families, the black community was affected by a diminishment of the influence of the white family onto them. So, okay. Um, so with the women working, women voting, um, that's just going to be something that I vehemently disagree with, but um, I don't want to get sidetracked. Uh, and I will challenge that if you if you really need me to argue against it. Um, but with the last one, the free will for 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 blacks and not the the control over blacks that you were claiming that that whites felt was or you feel is necessary for whites to have control over blacks. Um, so would you credit the growth of the Black Wall Street to white control over blacks? Black Wall Street. What are we talking about exactly? I'm well, not. Well, I'm not aware of this concept. Okay. So okay. So there is a uh, there's a period in about the 19th in the early 19th century where African Americans had a place in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was called Black White Black, uh, Black Wall Street at the time. That was economically growing at a rate faster than almost any white community in the United States. Um, the later history of that is, and I don't want to get into what happened at the end of it, um, just the, the riots and everything that ended up destroying the area. But my question to you is, with the economic growth in the Black community, you are stating that because of white oversight or because of white control, that economic growth happened? No, uh, I'm saying that white influence on the social and family values of the white, of the black community were positive for them. And that when they walked away from it, when they started living more liberal lifestyles, they reconverged back to what they do in the absence of white influence. Let me phrase it that way. So you look into Africa, and in Africa, the family model and the reproductive model is extremely different from uh, the one you observe in Black communities in Western civilization. In other words, only in Western civilizations have Black converged toward adhering to the marriage as it is conceived of in Christianity. 
the marriage forever with a single person in a monogamous relationship in which you are committed to a nuclear family lifestyle for the rest of your life with the same person, rather than the polygamy that can be observed in other communities outside of Western civilization. My point is, and it was not so much an economic point, although I'm sure it results in massive economic effects, is that Blacks in the South, uh, more than 80 years ago and before, learned to live a lifestyle that was to their interest, that was constructive, and that was guiding them towards success. And when they walked away from that lifestyle, the entire community has crumbled in terms of its ability to reach the same outcomes as white people. And I, I have to believe that the destruction of the family that happened then must have something to do with what happened after. Hmm. Um, so then I guess my question would be, because I, I, for example, if you look at certain areas in Africa, because I, I, I usually don't look at Africa as as just all of Africa, since there's so many different tribes, so many different places, so many different uh, religions and everything else. Um, there is a huge difference in almost every country in Africa in the growth development and prospect of Africa of the Africans there. But in many of these areas, uh, there isn't that much of a difference in their personal beliefs. So would you say that Africa, even though Africa overall is having multiple issues, um, wouldn't it be more precise to connect those issues to the extensive history of, of and I don't, I don't want to open up the door to colonialism because it's about race and crime, but the extensive history of colonialism more than you would say maybe how Africa lived as a whole, because we can toss back and forth um, many aspects of African growth and development prior to colonialism, and we can actually measure the issues in, the, in Africa post-colonialism. So I would yeah. like to try to separate myself from or separate the conversation from Africa and stay to America because blacks are so much different in the United States, but they are a lot more, I guess I would say centralized in history than the different aspects of African history. Yeah, my goal was not to was not to bring an analysis or bring the debate toward Africa. I don't care about Africa. But the point is, there is something there that tells us about the stock, the genetic stock from which African-Americans are born. And so if there is something to be reconverged toward, it is possible that the behaviors in Africa today are informative about how Blacks could, could converge in America if they were not under the influence of white society. And I believe that this is what we've seen for the last 80 years, essentially. The influence of white society, white, white society becoming increasingly less Puritan and increasingly more liberal, has essentially allowed black communities to reconverge to their natural behavior, uh, which looks, happens to look more like Africa. 
And so that, that's the only sense in which I'm bringing the African question in here. It's just that it's informative to know that you can go back to the behavior of your ancestors once you are not under the cultural influence of a strong compelment by your current society, which Black communities had been in the South before 1940. Well, if we can do a one-to-one, because again, if we're making the comparison between Africa and the United States, a good one-to-one is looking at how um, the assistance programs that happened in the towards the Black community that were supposed to be the responses to, uh, I guess, segregation, Jim Crow, and everything else, um, looks very familiar to the assistance programs located in Africa. And that is the assistance of, while you're in poverty, we give you this to survive. But once you are above a certain state, we remove that, leaving a culture of dependence. Now, I would say that that dependency has been directly created from the idea that whites, instead of um, allowing blacks to become, and I'm saying this is not every white single person, I wanna be very clear on this, but I'm talking about your general belief. I think it's connected to that belief that whites are, instead of um, allowing African-Americans to be viewed equally to them, they have this idea that you have to where whites or where blacks need to be controlled or supported, which is actually showing a negative reaction, the more control that people believe needs to be placed upon blacks. Well, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting parallel you make there. You're kind of suggesting that the cultural influence I talk about is a sort of welfare, keeping blacks down in a way. We're not keeping Uh, them down, but having a negative having a negative reaction by creating dependency. Yeah. And, you know, as far as cultural signals go, like, would it be dramatic if the Black community had to learn something from the white colonialists that are seen as so evil within that community? Would it be so dramatic that Black communities around America could decide, look, Uh, White people, you know, we've had our differences, we've had uh, civil issues with uh, civic rights and slavery and everything, but they still have something good that could be integrated to our society. To me, that wouldn't be a problem. To me, that could be the biggest news. If it was to happen this year, 2022, that the Black community decides we're not going to be fully rejecting this society because in the end, our circumstance as African-Americans is better than any Black person on the entire planet. Essentially, the most desirable place to be for a Black person right now is America. And there is certainly a reason for this and something to learn from the population that has formed America and gave it its current shape. So that wouldn't be a problem to me. That being said, I'd like to go on the subject of welfare because I think, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I think that giving welfare as we do it in America today, food stamps and all the stuff and government employment and healthcare type of, uh, of free stuff being given, that is ultimately bad 
for the black community, just like it is bad for any community, because it creates a level of dependency, as you describe, a level of expectation that someone else will save me and that I don't need to save myself. And as such, it destroys meritocracy, it destroys the struggle for existence and the struggle for success that is inherent in a true capitalistic society. And in the end, the Black community will never get itself out of trouble through welfare and free stuff. Yeah, but that that that's a direct contradiction to your first argument. So I actually agree that our current welfare system as it stands is a full negative um, effect on the... Uh, on the black population, but that is essentially because of a belief that blacks on their own cannot create. And the issue, and because there's an issue that, that, that there's a belief that blacks on their own cannot create, um, the way that government assistance shifted is the issue, not exactly government assistance in itself. So for example, government assistance prior to the CRA actually led to the biggest growth development and expansion of whites in the United States. Um, if you look at crime rates, if you look at birth and death rates, if you look at education levels, you would see that they were substantially lower prior to those assistance programs than they were after those assistance programs. Because those assistance, uh, those assistance programs were designed to help push uh, whites out into more rural areas to be able to build their own cities, build their own communities. The opposite effect happened to African-Americans. When Blacks migrated up into cities, those cities were already functioning in a negative sense before African-Americans got there. So an already bad, already badly or questionably bad functioning city adds on to the fact that once African-Americans get into it, they have limited generational uh generational help, generational wealth overall. So they don't have the ability to change the issues that are already in that community on top of the fact that the only assistance seems to be a maintaining assistance and not a growth assistance. So assistance in itself is not bad. Assistance in itself is not wrong, but the way assistance has been used has greatly diminished uh, growth and development in Black communities, and has led to the increase in every single negative rate you can point at, including the negative interaction with policing, which is what our conversation is. So overall, the system that, that has been created right after the CRA created this. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to agree on there. I don't think that there's a big difference between assistance uh, that is growing and assist maintenance assistance. I personally hate all sorts of assistance, but I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. Now, what you were describing with Blacks taking over cities uh, and essentially the city already being in trouble at the moment where it's given to Blacks. Can you give us examples? What are we talking about here? Detroit, Chicago, what cities are we talking about? And I don't, I don't know about given to Blacks. I don't think any city has been given to Blacks. But when, uh, when Blacks move into a lot of these cities, or a lot of these cities, especially in the Midwest, are called the Rust Belt for a reason. And that's because right when African-Americans started moving in at a higher influx, which would be between 
I would say 1960 and 1980, um, many of the factories there were 50, 60 years old. Um, many people were moving the factories out because the cost of, uh, of I guess, either demolishing and rebuilding or repurposing these factors was more expensive than just building ground up factories somewhere out in the suburbs, which is why you saw far more suburban uh, factories that are in those cities than you are in those suburbs uh, between like the 90s and 2000s than you would have before, um, which shows that there is a, a major economic departure that happened at the same time as Blacks moving into these neighborhoods. So now we can look at it as a double-edged sword. We can look at it as on two sides. One, um, the white economy was moving out of those cities as Blacks were moving in, but you can also look at it as the economy itself was becoming old and outdated. And instead of spending the time, energy, and money to bring it up to date, move out of those cities, allow someone else to become somebody else's problems and take your self to the suburbs to be able to build from the ground up with the with the economy you've grown from one major assistance from the government but on top of that two generational wealth and growth wealth that you've already had well uh i agree with a lot in there i'd like to touch before we move i guess there will be the q a eventually coming in but i'd like to touch on one important thing that we haven't had the chance to discuss which is the claims on undiagnosed mental health uh, <coughs> mental health to me is a very relative thing it's a relative practice uh, you could have a definition of mental disorders that For example, as we had a hundred years ago, where autism was not at all considered and or, or was a very rare uh, diagnosis of just social issues of some kind, uh, up to today, where we have massive diagnosis of autism, and there is a place here for relativity in determining just when is it worth to uh, do a diagnosis, and I'm not sure that making the most diagnosis possible is the best way to fix problems in society. I think a lot of the psychiatric disorders that get identified, it is not in the interest of the person to even be diagnosed, to be put in a system where they get told that they have a mental disorder. Uh, many times it is better to just leave it go naturally and as a society just combat the behaviors that are truly hurting, like criminal behavior. So to me, coming with mental health diagnosis is not a big solution to criminality because ultimately it boils down to this. There's plenty of people with mental disorders out there that will not be violent because they turn out not to have violent tendencies and you just let them be and you do nothing and it's fine. On the other hand, those who commit crimes must not be excused for having mental health disorder. They simply must be put in jail. So I don't see a solution in increasing mental health diagnosis. We get the kind of situation we get in the Joker movie a little bit. Someone being forced to speak with social workers to explain how he feels. And it, it doesn't fix any problem as far as I can see. Well, for your first point, um, the reason why you didn't see autism until very recently was because they didn't call it autism until fairly recently. That's like basically saying um <laughs> we didn't know about diabetes until 
later on in the year before diabetes was diagnosed. Um, the, the issue I would challenge with that is, um, no, we didn't have multiple diagnoses in the past, but we did have higher crime rates, an extremely high crime rate in the past. Um, very limited uh, assistance for people that were dealing with mental disorders. And all we ended up doing was placing more and more people with severe mental disability in jail, which overall has shown that prison escalates or grows issues with mental disability than it will ever fix. So since we are putting a higher number of our mental disabled in jail and not in, I guess, prior to that, we were putting them in mental facilities, which neither of them are good responses overall to the issue. Um, we just transferred the problem, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't a problem before. But now that we have more information, we can address it better. And we're not doing that. We are still thinking of the archaic incarceration is the answer. And that is actually creating a system where policing is increased to hold on to a system that needs to increase policing. It's creating a revolving door effect instead of fixing the problem. Well, uh, I would say if if they were put in jail forever, that definitely would stop the likelihood that they commit crimes against in the future. So one other perspective we can adopt to your thing is, no, let us increase the punishment. Let us increase the time people spend in jail so that once someone has committed a crime and it's been demonstrated beyond reasonable doubt, we get certain that they spend 15, 20 years so that by the time they get out, they're too old to commit further crimes. Uh, that is also a positive that that could have also a positive eugenic effect on the population in that it would reduce the likelihood that a criminal gets children would reduce his ability to reproduce and that would fix the problem in intergenerational times well before you go any further i want you to be specific on what crimes would you want to increase the uh the time in jail for that would offset these issues any because violent crime, any violent crime in which there is a victim, I'm personally against victimless crime, so I'm not for the, the drug cases to be prosecuted, uh, except if there were drugs given to people without consent or to children. But the idea of someone consuming drugs, I have no problems with this. But as long as there is a victim, as long as an attack to property has been done, theft, uh, murder, assault, physical assault, threatening, rape, all of this should be doubled, tripled in terms of so punishment. So what, what, what would be your required time for theft in prison? I, I wouldn't, it depends on the size of the theft and everything, but I wouldn't be against putting 10 years, 15 years for theft of uh, 800 bucks. I mean, this would solve the problem in the long run. Okay, so you want 10 years theft for 100 bucks. So yeah. say we we open this up because there's no real proof that um, increasing incarcerations actually uh, actually lower the rate of crime. It's, in a lot of cases, it's the exact opposite. Increasing the amount of incarcerations um, would actually increase crime. Um, well, what if you increase it to 50 years then? I mean, at some point, anyone sure, who's like, willing to commit a crime will be in jail. If okay, you increase, so, increase, increase until it doesn't exist anymore. So it, we're going to increase the time of arresting people for theft. So you want to increase it to, and I'm, I'm guessing you're saying 50 years 
sarcastically or facetiously? Facetiously, no, or mean, are you saying? Are I'm you, saying if ten years okay. doesn't work, do it fifty years. So for fifty years, um, we have created a prison system where we have placed somebody in there for for, for theft which means now we have people that are in jail for theft in the same amount of time as we have jail for people with murder, right? Now, would but you say that there are crimes... The murders would also be increased. So, okay. So would you say that there are crimes where you would think a one or two year sentence is sufficient? What crimes would those be? <clears throat> well, uh, I mean, we can think of petty crimes. We can think of crimes where the circumstances seem to explain something or where there's uncertainty about the intent. But personally, I mean, as long as a criminal intent has been demonstrated and someone has actually wanted to hurt someone else uh, in a way that is non-consensual and in a way that is truly violent, to me, there's no problem in punishing to the maximum. This culture that we have in modern times of we need to fix this person, we need to make them better, that is essentially stating that it is the responsibility of people to take people by the hand to not be criminal. Whoa, wait, as wait, long wait, as Jeff, you think wait, like wait, this... You... Wait, wait, that, that's Go not ahead. answering my... That didn't answer my question, though. Do you think that there are crimes that only should result in one to two years in prison? Or one to I mean, five I'd years have, in prison. You'd have to present me a case because out of out of thinking of it, I think something shouldn't be a crime at all, like drug consumption, or something should be a crime and be heavily punished. Okay, so let's say uh, vandalism. Is a vandalism a 10-year sentence or would you say it's one to five years? How would you view <clears throat> yeah, it? I, I wouldn't mind we, if we gave 10 years. Now, are you suggesting there should be a separate imprisonment system or a separate building for people that are one to five years? Or are you placing them in the same prison as the thefts and murderers that are now 50 to 100 years in prison? That's a, that's a complex question. I guess I'd be open that any argument, as long as they are kept away from society and that we, we get crime under control. I don't mind, really. You're going to tell me that it's better to keep them separate because that way they won't be influenced by the harsher criminal. Uh, sure, but I don't think it's my responsibility to keep people from being influenced by criminals. Well, I think sure. and the I'm, only I'm, responsibility of society is to protect itself against uh, acts of violence. So um, if you want the community to protect themselves against acts of violence, but you also want to incarcerate people who have committed petty crimes in places where there's knowingly influence of people who have committed violent crimes, you are actually creating a system that petty criminals are now going to be influenced by the negative effects of long-term criminals. So basically you're creating a system where because there are people longer in crime, which create further and further and higher and higher mental health issues, which has been proven in, almost, in the study I sent you, um, it's showing that mental health, um, as a person's more incarcerated, the more mental health issues they have, you are now placing people who have committed, in your opinion, petty crimes, one to five years, in that area so they can commit more violent, or so they can become more violent and commit violent crimes outside the prison system. So I would argue, based on your argument, you are creating a system that increases or at least maintains the crime rates we have today. The thing is, uh, I, 
I don't want to go into the detail because I'm not sure what you say is true fully, but suppose it's true. It seems to be easily resolvable. Just create two sections of the prison, take the people who you think are salvageable and put them in that section and then take the people who are not salvageable and put them in the other forever. Uh, my point is, the more I don't try to fix people as they live. I don't think there's much solution to people who are broken inside and who are committing crimes. I don't think that the system and the social workers have any demonstration that they are efficient at doing what they're doing. What I think is ultimately the solution must be genetic if it is to survive across intergenerational time. So what I'm mostly concerned with is to have an eugenic pressure against criminality, and that criminality must punish your ability to reproduce a lot. And the more we do it, the faster we will get to an evolutionary direction where violence is reduced in humanity. So let me ask you a question. Say your genetic answer is solved and all Black people are removed from Black neighborhoods. Black problems is away, but now white people move into those neighborhoods. Now, those white people have a higher crime rate than the whites overall. Um, would you still hold the same argument or would you see that as a different situation? Absolutely. I think that one of the greatness of Western civilization and how white people became great is by self-punishing. And I believe in the self-punishment until improvement philosophy of eugenics. I believe that we made ourselves better and that any community that applies our ingredients across generations will succeed at pushing away violent behavior. And it's only a matter of the Black community choosing to, to be that way. We did it for ourselves, and I'm up for us doing it to ourselves again and again until the end of time. But wait, if that, if that argument was uh, a solid argument, there wouldn't be proof of high white crime rates prior to uh, government assistance allowing whites to be able to move further out throughout the country. You would see a relatively flat crime rate through the 1900s, which is not which is not what you see. What I, I would argue, which since I argued from the beginning, um, you actually see a switch as whites move into more rural, more open, more suburban areas, their crime rates decreased because of one, they have economic assistance, two, they were able to build their communities from the ground up, not having to refurbish a community that was already having major issues. And three, they were able to uh, use the assistance to be able, or the assistance and the generational growth that they already had to differentiate themselves um, overall. So they have more opportunities to um, to have differences per region than African-Americans have, I would argue that because of the regional switch, um, that they show more African-Americans are having the problems that the whites had long before because African-Americans are now in those communities and whites aren't. Well, to be clear, I'm not affirming that it's inherent to the entire white race to never commit crimes. Obviously, it isn't. <clears throat> when you are in a population where non-criminality is a stable evolutionary situation, it remains the case that the criminality will pop back under different circumstances. Circumstances, some of them may be genetic in cause, some of them may be just things that the genes haven't expected, changes of the industrial society that genes haven't been confronted to, and suddenly, poof, you, got, you get bubbles of crime that can re-emerge. 
you, you, you're never done fighting crime. And I, I'm not affirming that the white race is perfect and never criminal. Of course, we're going to have the birth of uh, criminal pockets always in our own race, just like you guys have in your race. But if you combat it constantly, that's what matters. And th that's what keeps it low uh, in the future. How, how much would you consider World War II to be a, um, a substantial part of this conversation? Would you see well, a, a gigantic war killing millions and millions of people, especially young men, um, removing them from, because young men, I, I think you agree with me that young men are the highest when coming to crime rates. Um, would you agree with me that that shift from World War II, the economic advantages of World War II, the loss of life of, of an entire section of the young white population would be factors that would lead to a sudden immediate drop in crime between 1930 and 1950? Uh, definitely World War II has had massive effects on American society. Now, your theory is that World War II had a pacifying effect on the white population of America. That's an interesting theory. I've never heard that. I'd be open to it. I'm not sure, though. Uh, and I would note that uh, low criminality is a feature of white societies, even those that weren't involved in World War II or those countries in Europe that remain neutral. So I, I would be extremely careful at having a whole hypothesis where World War II chopped off young men, young white men in America. Therefore, that's why we. Well, no, no, no. I'm not. Low. I'm not saying that that is the only thing happening. I'm okay. saying that I, I'm. I'm saying that as multiple things happen at the same time in one particular time period that allowed so much economic shift that you would see an incredibly large drop in crime in a 20-year period that is consistent to today that you would not see in another group that did not have that shift. Well, that would remain, that, that would demand serious demonstration. And I'd like to see the evidence of this. I'm not sure that there, there was such a targeted effect on white populations that didn't happen to the black population. And that would explain the crime rates. But, and one of the reasons I would be hard to convince is that at same socioeconomic status levels, uh, white and black populations have, still have a racial gap in crime. So even at the same salary, the same standing in society, there is still a racial gap in crime. For this reason, any explanation that relies solely on the socioeconomic aspect, I would tend to reject unless it's proven to me without a doubt. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know how somebody would be able to prove that to you without a doubt, because... Um, I don't think there is a study that does all effects when comparing one-to-one. -one. I think they only did economics one-to-one. -one. So I would say a, a family that just recently got into a certain uh, income level would not be on par with a family that has been at that income level for years and have maintained a structure at that income level. So I don't think they've ever done a a wealth comparison. I think they've only done income comparison, which is a completely different conversation and a completely different study. 
Yeah, and then we enter the whole subject of is the low income of certain communities in America deserved? Because as long as we're in a meritocracy, honestly, there's going to be winners and losers. And I want our economy to be meritocratic. I want well, the we're not. people who can produce more. We're not meritocratic. Well, we're kind We've of never trying been at least. We're, we're kind of trying been. at least. Because there's no other way in the American economy, if you want to give a high salary to someone, you need to be making cash. And the way you make cash is by having someone buy your stuff. Because of this, there is still a rampant meritocracy in America, despite the imperfections of the system. That, that uh, this, this system will create losers and winners. And it's it's good that it's that way. But it's it's not, actually. If you look at, for example... Um, if we looked in a, if we lived in a true meritocracy, um, we wouldn't have substantial uh, assistance to white farmers for them to be able to maintain their land. It would be if you cannot live off of the land that you've gained, you would have lost that land, and someone else would have had the opportunity to farm that land. But we have an economic system designed to assist these people and keep them in a certain area. Now, this is just an example. I can give multiple examples of how a structure has been maintained to be able to preserve certain people in, econ in the economics they are in that moment. Um, so it's very difficult to try to argue that we are a meritocratic system when every single aspect shows that our government and our uh I would say economic system has been created to preserve the status quo that we are in today. Well, I fully so, agree with you that the state shouldn't be paying farmers to survive who can't survive by the quality of their own work. But who's voting these leftist governments in? Which community is voting Democrat the most aggressively? It is the black community. I mean, we would have a much more right-wing society and a much smaller state if only white people had control of who's in the government. So I'm, I'm just making sure to understand this. So um, just a few minutes left and then we're going to go into Q&A. OK, then I'll, I'll 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 hold that. I'll hold my argument for another time. We can if you want to just go ahead and move on or or. How much time do we have? Well, I can. I, if you need more than a few minutes, like if you need more than three minutes, I can give you more than that. But just want to let you know, like we'll be going into it pretty quick here. Okay. So, um, when it comes to a lot of the assistance programs that were able to preserve the system we live in today, which is not a meritocracy, um, blacks really were restricted from voting when a lot of these things were implemented. So it's kind of weird to blame blacks for a lot of the assistance programs that blacks one didn't have access to and two were prior to them voting at any significant number. The voting rights for African-Americans, when did it 1964. happen? 1969, 64. Uh, the state has been ever growing since then. So much of the growth of the state, and I, I agree, it wasn't all black. It started with women, to be honest. Women started growing the state and eventually blacks gave uh, the final uh, growth boost, but the so state hasn't you, stopped growing since 1940. So you're you're blaming? I'm guessing you're blaming women for the farm bill. I'm blaming the the fact that we have a 
an extremely sick system that gives power to people who shouldn't have it, that gives control of masses of money that are close to infinite, and that gives the control to these things to the entire mob of sheep that form this society. And that this decision-making system that is called democracy is driving us into the ground. Okay, so my question is this. When would you say we were in a pure meritocracy or a meritocracy enough that is acceptable in your eyes? I don't think that the ideal has ever been achieved. However, early America, uh, of uh, as far as white people among themselves, they were in a meritocracy. Unfortunately, there was the slavery aspect. Uh, take okay. early America, remove slavery, and that would be perhaps satisfying to me. With low Whoa. government, low government, small government, and not big taxation. There well, you even, go. You well, have well, free for, market. Well, first, you can't really have that time period without removing slavery. But let's say we do remove slavery. We still have the Indian Relocation Act that had the federal government actually removed people off of lands to move people onto lands free of charge so they can be able to build themselves up. We also have multiple government subsidies that are very recognizable in order to build the big cities that we see today. So even if you remove slavery, you still don't have a, mer- a meritocratic argument. No, I mean, I mean I you're right. that's it. why I said among white people, because you're right. What we did to the Native American, totally unfair. So no, I would no, no, say no, no, no. Ta- I want to I want to I want to be very clear about this. It does not. I'm not talking about the severity of what happened to the Native American. I am talking about once that Native American was removed from his land, it was not a meritocratic system of how people were able to get the land that was now removed. It was literally the federal government funding people to move to that land to be able to start building. That is the exact opposite of a meritocracy. Well, you're right. That's why I'm totally for absolute reparation to the Native Americans. And I, I'm one of those who advocates for giving them at least a third of the entirety of North America to restitute to their control in full. I am absolutely for Native American sovereignty and respect. That being said, if you remove slavery and remove the Native American question and the domination of the land, the internal mechanism of American society, as perceived into a capitalist interpretation of it, are relatively meritocratic and that people are selling their labor and getting rewarded for it and they can build property and own stuff from the the fruit of their labor. That's what I mean by meritocratic. But that's like saying if you remove the gunpowder from a gun, the gun is useless. Sure, but yes. the gun isn't useless. We like the gunpowder exists. Like you have to Again, add that. I agree to- with you. True meritocracy hasn't been uh, obtained uh, ever in the history, and you're right. I agree. We must move into the Q&A. I want to say, folks, our guests are linked in the description. That includes, if you're listening via the podcast, is all of our debates, folks, are uploaded to the podcast within 24 hours of the debate being live. Amazing. And you can find our guest links in the description box there as well, if that's where you're listening. This one from Hake of the Hake Report says, Christ said, quote, to him who has, more will be given, but for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him, unquote. Until they take full responsibility, people will continue to suffer. I'm not sure who that's for. 
I know Hake's a conservative. Well, yeah, I mean, but... uh, when you have more property, you are more lucky in life and you're going to get rewarded with it. it. It's sensical. It has to be that way because if you have a tendency to waste property, you should be punished in a proper meritocracy for that. What do you think? Dialogue always, and then we're going to jump to the next one. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Repeat that completely again because I think I missed something. They had said... Christ, as in Jesus, said, quote, to him who has, more will be given, but for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him, and then said, until people take responsibility, they will continue to suffer. I mean, that... You don't have to disagree if you... Yeah, I mean, I don't don't know if I agree or disagree, because it's just a a weird statement to try to correlate the two, because I'm thinking... And that verse was about the soul, and this is about life here, and I don't know. I don't, I don't even know where to go with that one. This one coming in from Rugal Migdal says, JF, and you can let me know if they're trolling you, JF, says, JF, how do you cope with the loss at Plain of Abraham? What are they talking about? I don't know. They, they're talking about the fact that my people has lost to the English uh, in the Plain of Abraham, uh, the Quebecois people. I, I cry about it every day, I'm telling you. Thank you. And Foulmouth Gaming says, I hope everyone is having a great day. Thank you, Foulmouth. Hake of the Hake Report strikes again, says, quote, where there are black, quote unquote, leaders condemning the culture of hate, blame and victimhood, exacerbating crime. Or they're saying, where are the black, quote unquote, leaders that are condemning the culture of hate, blame and victimhood that's exacerbating crime and destruction of families and uncooperative attitudes with people. I mean, okay. So it depends on what you mean by black leader, because if we're looking at just popular black people overall, then I guess conservative blacks are making that argument. You can consider them black leaders. I guess they have a fairly substantial movement. I think every I can't say every, but I, I don't know where um, black leaders are supposed to offset this as much. I mean, they have their influence, but I don't think that them making statements is going to change much of anything. This one coming in from Foulmouth Gaming says, Hake is a beta. And then Hake says, real Christians, not quote unquote mama Christians. Next up, Stephen Michael says, Modern Day Debate is the greatest of all time. Thanks for your kind words, Stephen. And Nugget Man says, we need to bring back shaming. We need to bring back true Christianity, zero tolerance policy for immoralities in the community. Anybody? I don't I don't know if either of you are Christians. This one coming from <laughs> Foulmouth Gaming says, wrong. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Christian agnostic, so I just don't, I don't know what they mean by bring back shaming, but go ahead. This one coming in from Foulmouth Gaming says, wrong, true Christians are compassionate. And Hake says, the excuse of quote-unquote racism is a poisonous distraction. Sure. I mean, I don't think I've ever made an argument of overall racism as much as I was just making the argument of of how things happened over the years regarding race, which isn't exactly the same thing. But sure, I mean, I guess just screaming racism is... Is isn't productive if you. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
This one from Samar Rao says, JF, you talked about how the black communities can adopt cultural practices from white slash Christian communities. Was curious what cultural would you, what culture would you like to see white communities adopt from blacks? Uh, Christian conservatism, as far as social conservatism and family life goes, uh, perhaps a focus on the heterosexual family. This one coming in from Doc Pleroma Not says, DA, what effect do you think the destruction of the quote-unquote family contributes to black inability to advance economically and have strong role models? I mean, it, it, I can't say that it doesn't have no negative effect, but I believe that it's uh, it's more of a symptom than a, a cause. So I would say fix the cause and then the symptom would prepare itself. You got it. This one coming in from Hake, trying really hard to get us demonetized today, says women voting indisputably led to progressive pro-government anti-family policy and culture. John R. Lott Jr. is a Ph.D. researched who has researched this thoroughly. I don't know if any of you have any thoughts. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I just disagree. But yeah, that's. This one coming in from <laughs> Nugget Man says, oh, let's see. All right. I'm not saying that because people might misunderstand it. Like they might think that I'm, they might misunderstand capital punishment for meeting like not like violence done by individuals. Go away says, how much time should I get for willful tax avoidance? Bear in mind, I will not be able to contribute super chats from prison, JF. Well, I'm against the punishment for not paying tax. So zero is my answer. This one coming in from Yutavara1 says, and let me know, this one, you guys may be able to make more sense of it because you've been kind of running at full speed and I've been kind of idling. They say high crime, dense white areas are Middle East people that are classified as white and Hispanic, Hispanic people as well. Not Europeans, not a country where African-Americans resemble Koreans on statistic. Do you guys understand that? I think what he's saying is, uh, well, I think he's saying two arguments that when you add in, and I'm, I may be wrong, but I think when you add in Middle Eastern areas and white and quote unquote white Hispanics, um, you start seeing high density area populations and you start seeing higher crime. And, I think his second argument is, wait, repeat that again. I, I, the second part was not, a. they said it's not a country where African-Americans resemble Koreans on the statistic. I, I don't know about Koreans, but there are quite a few studies that show um, uh, Southeast Asians that come from uh, areas that don't have a high offset of um, economic stability have incredibly high crime rates but they are very small in uh they're they're very small communities compared to the rest of the asian community so it's a higher crime rate but a very substantially smaller area a smaller number of people this one coming in from hake says blacks are voting and holding office before the so-called quote-unquote civil rights movement is he talking about reconstruction because there was this Jim Crow was a response to Reconstruction. So, yes, there were blacks in office, and then something happened to remove blacks from office, and then something happened to allow blacks back into office. I mean, if that's okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I don't mean to interrupt you. 
No, if, if, I don't know if that's the argument he's making. Um, I'm guessing. Sure. This one also coming in from Hake says immigrants used to quote unquote sink or swim in America. It was tough, not coddling like today. Except I'm literally pointing to multiple assistance programs that allowed immigrants to move out to the rest of the United States. So I'm guessing in the very beginning, when they first got there, sure, they had their struggles and everything. But there are multiple things you can point to to show that in order for them to move out through the rest of the United States, they had a lot of assistance. Or they would have been stuck in those communities that now the black community is stuck in. You got it. And Samara Rowe, I will come to your question at the very end. We're going to do a post credit scene in just a minute. So thanks for your question. It was just a question about me in particular. So we are going to let our speakers go as we really do appreciate them spending their time with us. I got to tell you, we, got, we had one more question actually for one of you guys. This one coming in from Gross Patate says, JF, should your son get 10 years if he stole $100? Yes, if we were in a society that punishes that way. But in our society, I would advocate for the system to be uh, compassionate to him the way it is compassionate with everyone else. You got it. And that is it for tonight. I want to say huge thanks to Dialogue Always as well as JF. It's been a true pleasure to have you guys. It was Thank great to be here. Thank 100%. You. What I will do is be back in a moment, folks, with a post-credit scene, letting you know about upcoming debates. For example, who was Muhammad this Saturday, as well as the one I had mentioned earlier in the bottom right of your screen. In addition, very pumped to have Dr. E. Michael Jones and Kat debate whether or not porn is bad for society. You don't want to miss it. Hit that subscribe button, and I'll be right back. But once again, thanks to our guests who are linked in the description. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.